0: If you're looking at Genesis 36, it is a chapter of genealogy. Now, normally what happens when you have a chapter like this, it's always my first instinct to kind of say, we're going to skip over it. And then as I always say, I'm going to skip over it, I end up coming back and doing a study on it. Because there is a reason all this stuff is in here. Now, if you look at this at first glance, and I would say, hey, you want one chapter in the Bible that's really going to take you deeper in your walk in relationship with Christ? I would probably never refer you to Genesis 36. These names are difficult to pronounce. We don't really know what we're talking about. In fact, the whole chapter is the descendants of Esau, who are the Edomites, who don't even exist anymore. So we're going to do a whole chapter study tonight on a guy who was really sinful and profane, and his descendants were so ultimately judged that they don't even exist anymore. And this is how we're going to spend our Wednesday night. Now, as always, there's a reason why God put this in here. And that's one of my favorite things is when I read a verse or a passage in the Bible and I'm scratching my head saying, Lord, I don't see anything in this, I love those. Because that really makes me more than ever stop and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell us here? So I hope you're as blessed by this as I was. Now, if you look on the back, it's a repeat of our Genesis 25 notes. Because we're going to refer a lot to Esau. And if you remember back when we did Genesis 25, we talked about how Esau is a picture of the man of the flesh. When I say flesh, flesh I mean our carnal, sinful nature. So if I say that you're living in the flesh or I'm living in the flesh, that means I'm allowing what just I want to do control me. Not the things of God but my fleshly desires and they're not good. Esau is a picture of this. And as we go through this, you can see here this man of the flesh based his decisions on emotions, despised what is good. He was selfish. He had a heart of revenge, blatant sin. This is not the type of man that you'd want to model yourself after as a godly man. Well, his whole descendants are a picture of that. So what you have here in Genesis 36 is you have this picture of the flesh of sin. And really what we're going to see here tonight in Genesis 36 is a study on this idea of the flesh and sin. Now, before we get to that, I want to do a quick little review here. Can you go with me to Romans, please? Romans chapter 7. If time would permit, we would do a whole study on Romans 7 and 8 for this background. But if you look at your sheets, I just picked four quick verses just to remind us of what we're going to be talking about here. So this idea of flesh and sin, Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Romans 7 is one of the most honest chapters in the entire Bible. And if you're ever feeling a little low and down, read Romans 7 because Paul basically says this. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. That describes my walk with the Lord sometimes. Romans 7 verse 18 though, great starting point. Nothing good dwells in the flesh. If something good dwelt in the flesh, we wouldn't need Jesus Christ to down the cross for our sins. Because we'd be able to find that goodness in us and then exploit it and say, look, Lord, I can get to heaven because there's goodness in me. Anytime I hear something on the news about mankind coming together and we can solve all problems by working together, that's a bunch of baloney. There's nothing good in our flesh, nothing at all. That's why we have to be born again. It's a complete concept. Born a second time because the first time we're born into this sinful relationship. So, first point, nothing good dwells in the flesh. Stay in Romans, jump to Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. If you live in the flesh, guess what? You're going to think about the flesh, and that's what you're going to live your life in. You probably were like that at one time in your life. You probably work with people, know people, where their whole life just consists of sinful, carnal flesh. That's all they think about. Verse 8 of Romans 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's no way the descendants of Esau were ever going to be a God loving people. Now, there could have been individuals that were, but overall, as a group, they weren't. They're this picture of the flesh. And our last introduction verse, verse 13, if you live, Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. When is the last time you ran into somebody from Edom? You don't. They don't exist. They were completely, utterly judged. They were completely and utterly wiped out. And it's a picture of the flesh being completely destroyed, hopefully. So what you're going to see here as we go through this Genesis 36. The descendants of Edol, Esau, excuse me, which are known as the Edomites, are a sinful, carnal people. Doesn't mean that every individual was, but overall they were sinful, carnal people, and it represents the flesh and how it needs to be destroyed and taken care of. So with that introduction, and you can always refer back to your notes on the back, let's talk about these guys. Now, we're not going to do verse by verse, because there's a lot of names in here and it doesn't matter. But what you see here is the scene being set in verse 1. Now, this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. What you have in the first few verses is all his wives that he took from Canaan. Remember, God specifically wanted them to take a wife that was a a God-fearing, or from that genealogy and descendants. Esau purposely, the Bible said he purposely chose wives, chose women that would make his mom and dad unhappy. He purposely went out and tried to find a woman that would say, hey, my parents won't like you, will you marry me? That is a picture of the flesh. I'm going to purposely do something that I know it's not right. I mean, I'm going to do it. So, what happens when we get into that? Look here real quick, if you will, at verse 7. Actually, we'll start in verse 6. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle, and all his animals, and all his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and went to a country away from the presence of Jacob. Verse 6 there. See, if you look at our first point, the flesh likes to run away from what is God. See, if you're walking in the flesh and you're really not being the man or woman of God they've called you to be, guess what? You don't want to come to church. You don't want to talk to the pastor. You don't want to talk to somebody about what you're reading in the Bible. You don't want to run into other believers because the flesh wants to run away from things that are of God. Church attendance is not salvation. It isn't. But what I notice is this. When I see somebody who does not see the importance of that, that to me is a little bit of a red flag to say, now wait a second here. Because the flesh drives us away from the things of the Lord. And we gotta be careful about that. So, what I see sometimes when people, I gotta be honest, this happens to me, they dodge my calls, they dodge my texts, they dodge my emails. It's a little bit of a red flag for me. When I see people that don't wanna talk about the things of the Lord, they don't wanna talk about what they're reading or praying, they don't wanna come to church because it makes them feel uncomfortable. That's a little bit of a red flag in some ways. Because the flesh runs from what is of God. He didn't want to be anywhere near Jacob. Jacob represented the blessing. Jacob represented God's hand. The flesh doesn't want it. Think back in your spiritual life. If you were ever at a moment in your spiritual life where you were not doing the things of the Lord and you were walking in the flesh, the last thing you thought of is, hey, I really want to read my Bible today. Hey, I can't wait to go to church. No, the flesh doesn't think that way. It runs from the things of God. And guess what else happens in the flesh? Verse 7. I got the wrong verse written down there on the sheet. It says verse 8, but it's verse 7. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. And the land where they were strangers cannot support them because of their lifestyle. The flesh is plentiful. The flesh just keeps growing, it's never satisfied. Never satisfied. When you're walking in the flesh, you can't get enough sin. You just can't. There's not enough fleshly desire to fulfill you. You go out to this one party and do this one thing, you're going to want to keep doing more. You watch one thing that's inappropriate, you're going to want to keep watching more. You get into one argument, you're going to want to keep getting into more. Because the flesh is never satisfied. It's not. And you basically just keep fulfilling those desires that are carnal and sinful, and you walk away feeling actually more empty. So it's this vicious cycle, well then I'm going to go do it one more time again. That's what the flesh does. It is never satisfied. It is never content. It's never happy. And so you reach a point where you can never have enough. It's plentiful. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. The Bible uses this description of the flesh of sin, of leaven. And you're familiar with what leaven does. Leaven is a rising agent when it comes to cooking. That's the same thing what the flesh does. You put a little bit of leaven in something and that flesh and sin just expands. And you've seen it in your life, I've seen it in my life, and this is what the flesh does. It is plentiful. Next thing the flesh does, it's powerful. Look at the descriptions of the descendants of Esau. Verse 31, they're called kings. Verse 13, it starts, they're called, depending on our translation, chief or duke. Esau's descendants were powerful at this time. The flesh is powerful. Have you ever been so tempted by something that you honestly looked at it and you thought, I don't think I can say no. It's that powerful. I mean, and as you're, as you're doing it, you're actually thinking in your head saying, I don't want to do this. I mean, I've had those moments where the words are coming out of my mouth and I'm thinking, don't say it. It's not going to go good. And they still just come out. Or, as you're flipping through the stations and you see something that's not appropriate, and your hand like freezes on the remote, I should change that station. I should change that station. And you're just, it's powerful. It's powerful. And I think what happens is sometimes we underestimate the power of our flesh. It's really kind of bad. The thing I'm best at is sinning, and I'm really not supposed to be good at it. That's really what I'm really good at. It is really easy to give into the flesh. It really is easy just one time to say, forget this all. I'm just going to not fight it anymore. Fighting is too tough. If somebody talks rough to me, I'm just going to talk rough back to them. No more self-control. You know what? I'm not even going to worry about what my eyes see anymore. If my eyes see something I'm not supposed to see, I'm just going to keep looking. I'm not going to say no to things that make me feel good for a moment. I'm going to keep saying yes. And guess what happens? The flesh becomes powerful. It becomes plentiful. And then what happens? It drives you away from God. And you're having this moment where you think everything is wonderful. But look at our next moment. The flesh is sneaky. Did you catch this in verse 12? One of the descendants of Esau is Amalek. Amalek is where we get the Amalekites. Well, what do the Amalekites do? Can you go with me to Deuteronomy 25, please? Deuteronomy 25. The flesh is sneaky. Deuteronomy 25. Let's see what the Amalekites did and shows the sneakiness of the flesh. Deuteronomy 25. And let's go ahead and start in verse 17. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, it says this Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. What did Amalek do? As they were coming out of Egypt, the ones that were tired and weak, well, they were bringing up the rear. They weren't moving as quick. Amalek knew not enough not to fight right from the front. Let's just hang out in the back. And what are we going to do when we hang out in the back? We'll take out the weak ones first. Do you realize Satan's strategy has not changed in 4,000 years? He hangs out in the back and he takes out the weak ones first. When you allow the flesh to get the best of you, you start running from what is of God. Your time in the Word, your time in prayer, your time in devotions goes downhill. I have never run into anybody who is completely walking in the flesh and ask them, hey, how's your time with God going? Oh, pastor, it's the best it's ever been. No, it's always the same answer. I'm not doing the things I should be doing spiritually. And so this is the same thing that it does. The flesh takes you out from behind. I, very rarely does someone go in with this mindset of, hey, I just want to go sin as much as I possibly can. I think we innocently start stuff and the flesh kind of sneaks up. I'm just going to go online and look at this real quick and next thing you know, you're looking at things you shouldn't. You know, I'm just going to go out with this guy. He's a good old friend of mine and we're just going to have a good fun time and next thing you know, you're passed on drunk at the bar. Or, you know what, there's this really nice girl at work. I'm just going to say hi to her a little bit. And next thing you know, it builds into something. The flesh is sneaky. Satan has not changed his strategy in 4,000 years. Because if he would come to you right now and say, hey, servant of Christ... Go get drunk. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, fine, servant of Christ. Will you just go to the bar and just order a Coke? Yeah, I'll do that. Sneaky. Servant of Christ, go have an affair. I am not going to go have an affair. Okay, servant of Christ, can you just be nice to the cute girl? See, it just sneaks up. The flesh is powerful. The flesh is plentiful. It makes you run from what is God. It is sneaky. And this is nothing has changed. And this is what Esau's family represents. This powerful, plentiful family that was a thorn in the side of Israel for generations. Now we'll get to their destruction here in just a little bit, but does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything here before we move on with anything else? Ryan. Um, in the genealogy in uh, uh, verse 5 mentions thora, Mm-hmm. Uh, Right. Uh, there, is just... The re- Korah's Rebellion? Yeah. That's what I'm going to go with because I was looking studying the same thing. And if you're not familiar with the Korah's Rebellion, what that is is there's basically a guy that came to Moses and Aaron. It's a great story, except everybody dies. Um, they go to Moses and Aaron and they basically say, it's not fair that you guys get to be the one that talks to God. So Moses and Aaron have this great idea, Say, you're absolutely right. Korah, you take your people and stand there. We'll stand over here, and we'll just simply ask God, who do you want your mouthpiece to be? And the people you don't want your mouthpiece to be, Lord, just have the earth swallow them up. So Korah stands over here with his people. Moses and Aaron stand over here, and they say, God, who do you want your mouthpiece to be? And once you know it, the ground opens up, swallows up Korah's people, and they go straight to Hades, the Bible says. So, I saw the same thing. There's nothing, though, to connect that Korah with Korah's rebellion, maybe it could be, I don't know, but we can't find that middle verse to make a connection there. So it's kind of just like there's one Joseph, and six, then 600 years later, there's another guy. It, it, it could be. It could be, or it could be the same guy. And there's another one. If you want to go to neat little tidbits, check out, because I wrote this down. If you look in verse 11, in verse 11, you have Eliphaz and Timon. Those guys are both mentioned in the book of Job. One, Eliphaz is one of the uh, friends of Job, and he was a Temanite. And some people believe that those guys, and if you go to verse 34, where it says Joab, some people believe that that's the Job of Job, which would then be related to Eliphaz and Timnah. Once again, it's interesting that all those names are also in the book of Job. It's interesting that it kind of lines up that Eliphaz was a Timonite there. But there's not that other verse to kind of connect everything together there. So it's possible it could be something that's added there, but we don't have enough to put all the pieces together. A good point there on Korah's Rebellion. Anybody else have anything? All right. Let's finish this up here with this point at least. Can you go with me to Ezekiel 25 and Jeremiah 49? I just want to read you two prophecies here about what's going to happen to uh, the people of Edom. Ezekiel 25 and Jeremiah 49. Books right beside each other should be pretty easy to go to both. We'll do the Ezekiel 25 passage first. See here's the thing about the flesh. Eventually the flesh is going to be put to death. I mean, are, have you ever stopped and you thought about heaven? When you get to heaven, you, you don't have to worry anymore about sin. I mean, you don't have to worry anymore about controlling your tongue. You don't have to worry anymore about temptation. You don't have to worry anymore about your heart straggling away from the Lord. I mean, can you imagine the joy of heaven of just walking in the perfection of the blood of Jesus and not having this awful thing? I mean, sometimes, as a man of God, I stop for a moment I think, I can't believe I just thought that. That's just, that's an awful, evil thing. Where did that thought even come from? And you just stop and you think, this flesh is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. It pulls me away from the Lord. It is so powerful. Every moment of my life, I'm just battling. It sneaks up on me. I just want this flesh to die. And that's the whole point, is it will eventually die. Let's talk about the prophecies of Edom first, Ezekiel 25, starting in verse 12. "...Thus says the Lord God, because of what Edom did against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and has greatly offended by avenging itself on them, therefore thus says the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand against Edom, cut off man and beast from it, and make it desolate from Taman." Eden shall fall by the sword. I will lay my vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel that they may do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury and they shall know my vengeance says the Lord God. One more passage and we'll make a quick point to we'll go to that Jeremiah 49 verse please. Just one book to the left. Jeremiah 49 and let's look here at verse 17. Edom also shall be an astonishment. Everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at all of its plagues. As it is overthrown of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord, no one shall remain there, nor shall a son of man dwell in it. And if you look right now, if you go find a map of present-day society where Edom existed, guess what? No one lives there. And guess what? You're not going to run into an Edomite at the mall tomorrow. They're not around anymore. The Lord put to death that nation. Book of Obadiah, if you want a fun little study, is all about the destruction of it. Now, bringing this around full circle for us... Esau is a man of the flesh. We've already talked about that. Look at the back of the sheet there. Edom represents the flesh, the descendants of Esau. The flesh is our carnal, sinful nature. We read about those passages in Romans about how we're supposed to put it to death. We see what the flesh does to us. It makes us run from the Lord. It's plentiful. It's powerful. It's sneaky. It will be put to death. But what are we supposed to do right here, right now? Our last passage. Can you go to Galatians 5, please? Somebody out here at church coined this term, and I've never forgot it. They refer to it as a flesh flash. And by the, what they meant as a flesh flash, is that brief moment of where you just get in the flesh. You're saying things you shouldn't say. You're getting angry. You're doing things that you shouldn't do. And when you get done with it, you just have this feeling of, why did I do that? Boy, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And these are this little battle that pops up. The, the, until I die, and until I'm in heaven... This flesh is going to constantly want to pull me away from the things of the Lord. And that's why the Bible says I need to put it to death. How do I put it to death? Verse 16 of Galatians 5. Whatever you're struggling with, look at these passages and apply it. Verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right there's your first point. Are you walking in the Spirit? Well, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means to walk in the Spirit is to stop and say, I'm not the Lord, excuse me, I'm not mine, but I'm the Lord's. As a child of God, I want to be in His Word because it helps me. I want to be in prayer. I want to be in fellowship. I want to be the Lord's child, so I'm going to walk. Walk denotes action, it denotes effort. I'm going to put effort into my relationship with Christ. If you think you can just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and say, I don't want to sin, it's not going to happen. The flesh is too powerful. Our point that we've been saying here the last couple services, we have too many part time Christians winning full time benefits. I put a little bit of effort into my walk with the Lord and I just expect everything to be great. It doesn't work that way. The effort I put into my walk with the Lord, I will reap that effort. So I want to walk in the Spirit. Look at verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things you wish. Isn't that true? I don't want to stamp at my wife. I don't want to stamp at my kids. I don't want my eyes to wander. I don't want to think those thoughts. Those are the flesh. That's contrary to what I want to do. As a man of God, I want to be in the Spirit. But this flesh is so powerful. So what should I do? Verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, what does the flesh look like? gives us quite the list here. Verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. Fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God i think it 's fascinating how the Lord puts an equality on this because look at some of the things here that we would talk about. well, you know we would probably say, well you know adultery, murder verse twenty one that 's in a separate category. But did you catch verse 20? Selfishness is on the same line as murder. Outbursts of wrath. Isn't it amazing how we just um, desensitize wrath? I got a temper. Like it's some type of genetic thing you can't control. Or my favorite is, my mom and dad had a temper, or my dad had a temper, so I got. It's not genetically passed on. It's a choice you're making. So therefore, it's amazing how we let things like selfishness, jealousy verse 20 go God says that's just as awful as murder and I sometimes look at the body of Christ I look at my own life and I think why well, I'm doing good I mean I'm not cheating on my wife I'm not killing anybody I mean I'm not doing these things well what about the jealousy the selfishness well those are those are grade C sins I mean Jesus really died for the big sins that's what he really died for no these are all flesh all flesh I mean look at this verse 20 dissension. Dissension is on the same level as murder. If you're causing dissension and not bringing peace, God says that's the same level as murder. That's a pretty big thing. That's the flesh. So what are we supposed to do? Well, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is such an easy question. Look at verses 20 and 21. Is that where you're living? Or are you living in 22 and 23? I mean, that shows where you're at. If you're more in 20 and 21, you're in the flesh, friend. If you're in 22 and 23, you're in the Spirit. Now, this is what happens to me. I live at 22 and 23. That's my address. But I like to go visit 20 and 21. Now, when I go visit 20 21, I feel bad, so I go back home to 22 and 23. Sometimes I stay overnight in 20 and 21. And sometimes I take a little vacation to 20 and 21 for way too long. But I really want to be in verses 22 and 23. I want to walk in the Spirit. So how do I get to that point verse 24? Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Final questions to ask you. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you living in the Spirit? And have you crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? If you have not crucified the flesh with its passions and desires in your life, then what you're really basically saying is, I'm like Esau. I'm a descendant of Edom. That brings death. That brings destruction. I don't want that. I want to be in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and all that I say and all that I do. Easier said than done. Remember, the flesh takes you away from the Lord. The flesh is plentiful. The flesh is powerful. The flesh is sneaky. That's why it needs to be put to death. That's what we need to do. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about Genesis 36, descendants of Esau, before we go ahead and close up? Next week, we get into Genesis 37, Joseph. So it, gets, it takes a turn here for our last half of the book of Genesis, our last section, I could say. Joseph takes center stage, and then we're going to be with Joseph here to the end of Genesis, and it's going to be some good stuff here coming on. So let's have a, our final prayer and let you guys go then. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Help us, Lord, to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. And if there's someone here tonight struggling with somebody, show them how they can die to the flesh through you. In the name of Jesus, amen. guys have a good week and God bless.